Well, it's great to be back with you and have a few faces in the church. Can't wait. We all can't wait till we can be back here, and connect in the way we, we love to do. And so uh, looking forward to that and things will ease up more and more. And uh, I'm so excited about that. I'm sure you are too. Um, um, shout out today to people in New Zealand. There's a family who said they were, they're going to be watching the Howell family. So hi, enjoy. And others uh, who are watching who may not normally be a part of this church, but are watching, we welcome you and pray that God will speak to your hearts and minds as we pray for all of us through his living word. So let us just uh, pray and ask God to open his word to us and speak this morning in our hearts. We pray, Father, that as we come to you, we recognize you're the living God, you're the God of light, and you shine in darkness, and the darkness does not uh, comprehend it or apprehend it. Uh, you are the God of eternity. You are the God who has no beginning or end, yet you became one of us in the person of your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus. We pray that as we open this portion of word, uh, of your word, which uh, Jesus speaks uh, of incredible things for us to apply to our lives. May we understand, may your spirit open our minds and understanding so that we may not only grasp it, but we may apply it to our lives for your glory. We trust in you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Louis Armstrong, uh, the great trumpet player, the um, who, who is well known to my generation, older, um, not so well known, I don't think, among uh, the younger set. But anyway, uh, he was an amazing trumpet player. And he was in Chicago going to something that he had to go to. And he saw two street musicians on the side of the road. So he went over to them and they were playing his song, Strutton. Um, and he stopped and listened. And after it was all over, uh, that song was over, he said to them, man, you're playing that too slow. And one of the guys said, well, how would you know? And he said, well, I'm Louis Armstrong. That, that's my tune you're playing or my tune that you're playing. And uh, so the guys, oh, OK, OK. Next day, Louis Armstrong was walking down the same street and saw them again. And they were playing their songs and so on. And on the front, in front of them was a little sign that said, Pupils of Louis Armstrong. <laughs> well, uh, pupils, that's what discipleship is all about. We are pupils of Jesus. And the disciples who followed him for three years as they walked around the um, streets of Palestine around Israel at that day, they uh, were learners. Uh, the whole idea of discipleship is to be a learner, uh, to follow Jesus, yes, but not just physically walk with him and as they did and they slept in the same place where, where Jesus stayed and, and they listened to him, they ate with him and, and, and so on, but to follow him by, by being taught by him, not only when he was with the crowds, but afterwards, Jesus would speak with his own disciples and engage with them, help them to understand what he was talking about when he was talking to the big crowds. And so they were following him in that sense of being pupils, learners and followers. Now, that discipleship thing 
they thought was going to end because they'd just been in the last previous chapter, especially the emphasis on Jesus saying he's going away. And now here we are, um, disciples. Well, does that mean our discipleship finishes when Jesus goes? And Jesus now is introducing the concept of what I have called dynamic discipleship. They will continue to be disciples after Jesus has gone, uh, but it will be a dynamic discipleship where the spirit of Jesus will indwell them and they will continue to follow him. They will not physically follow him. He's gone, but spiritually it is the spirit of Jesus. Jesus said in one of the passages here in uh, the upper room discourse where Jesus spoke several times of the Holy Spirit, the comforter who would come. He says, whom I will send. He also says, whom the Father will send. It's the Spirit of Christ, the Bible says, the Spirit of God he is. And so uh, the whole idea of dynamic discipleship is that uh, once Jesus has gone, the Spirit of God has come and indwelt his people uh, there are three areas in this chapter where dynamic discipleship will affect their relationships. First of all, they're ours as well, relationship with Christ, and then we'll see our relationship with each other, and then our relationship with the world. And that's what this chapter is about. The dynamic discipleship following Jesus now that he's in heaven and the Spirit of God has come. So first of all, in our relationship with Christ, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. You are the branches connected into the vine. I'm the main vine, you are the branches. The grapevine was a symbol of Israel. It was an emblem, the grapevine. The emblem of Australia is what? A kangaroo? And you Kiwis over there? It's a kiwi. Um, so it was an emblem that, that people recognized. In fact, in the Old Testament, there's a number of references to Israel being a fruitful vine and so on. The vine is that emblem. So Jesus was saying, I am the, notice the word true. I'm the genuine vine. I'm the real thing. I'm not just like a vine. I am the vine. I represent uh, what Oh, what that vine concept represented is true of me and you are the branches, you're connected to me in that way. And this is the uh, seventh time in this, in this book of John that John quotes Jesus as saying one of the I am's. I am the bread of life. I am the living water and so on. I am the true vine. I'm the true fulfillment of that. So all Jews believed that just automatically because they were Jews, they were from Abraham, that they were therefore uh, connected with God. That um, I'm the seed of Abraham, they would say, and I am connected to God. I, I have that right. I have that open uh, connection with him. But Jesus was saying, no, I, I am the vine and you are the branches. It is a living, vital relationship Jesus is talking about here. It's, uh, it, it's that it says in the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. The branch derives its 
sustenance. It derives its life from the main vine. And so it is with us. No longer were these disciples to follow him outwardly only. They would now be following him internally, spiritually. Now, Judas followed along with the others, but he wasn't one that was connected in. Today, it's very easy to follow Jesus outwardly. I lived for a time in America, as you know, and there's places there where, there's, where you go and, and uh, the, the, there's Christians everywhere. Every street corner, there's a church down the south and in certain areas there. And, and uh, there's many, many Christians. Uh, but the big challenge is how many, and the same here in, America, in Australia and everywhere, how many real believers are there? How many are genuine followers of Jesus? Not just outwardly coming to church and singing a hymn or two and, and being involved in the church community. And then for the rest of the week, do you follow Jesus? Is he a part of your life? How real uh, is your discipleship, if you like? It, this relationship with Jesus, now that he has gone and the Spirit has come as the vine with its branches, this relationship is a living, vital relationship. It has to do with sustenance and drawing life from Jesus. And so, Jesus is saying here, you are the branches and it's like a marriage. He's not talking here about when he says, in me, abide in me. He's not talking about what the way the Apostle Paul talked about in Christ. That's the living union of uh, where we are standing before God, that we are in Christ. It's our position in him. He's talking here more about the fellowship or the continuing to abide, to draw sustenance from him. It's like a marriage. Uh, we enter into a marriage and it's all signed and sealed and we're in a union together, but we're to live in union in that marriage. The fellowship, the relationship has to be maintained in the marriage, despite the fact, even if we are united formally, we are still needing to live that out in our lives. And that's what Jesus is saying here about your relationship with him. It's not just coming to faith, receiving the spirit of God and becoming a child of God. And now it's living in the light of that, drawing upon him for grace and help as we need to walk, as we walk the, the pathway uh, that we have set before us. So we need to realize make real in our lives this new vital relationship with Christ, and that's by his spirit. Secondly, it's a fruitful relationship. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he says, he it is that bears much fruit. Now, bearing fruit comes from abiding, that staying in that close relationship with him through the week, not just on Sunday when you come to church or watch church. It's saying my life is connected with Christ and my daily life is going to be affected by that in that I'm going to walk with him 
He's going to be my Lord and Master as I enter into the workplace or sit at school with the, behind a desk and listen to the person and interact with my friends. And whatever I'm doing, I am a follower of Christ. I'm abiding in Him. And that will then cause fruit to be produced. The fruit of the Spirit, if you like. Love, joy, peace, patience. I can hear Marg saying, Keith, you're listening, patience. <laughs> I'm the most impatient person. That's something I'm working on. I've been working on it all my life. Especially when you're driving in the car and you, you're turning right and the light's just arrow to turn right and, and the car up the front just sits there. Meanwhile, you're waiting to get around and you know it's going to change to orange and red and you miss out because some person up the front. And I get so impatient. Lord, I need patience. Don't we all? The fruitful relationship. Producing fruit is gradual. In this passage, Jesus speaks about producing fruit. Then he talks about producing more fruit then he talks about producing much fruit. And that's what the Christian life is. We are in a growth experience. We are growing more and more like Christ. And so we're not there yet, but we're developing our, um, our we're, we're growing in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, as the Bible says. And so um, it is, producing fruit that is gradual. And what occurs is that um, he uses, the Lord uses all sorts of things in our lives to, to grow us and to grow produce that fruit. And so the Bible here, Jesus here talks about God is the vine dresser. He's the gardener. He's the one who goes around the vine and he sees you and he sees your branch there that that's you and you're not producing much fruit. Maybe it's down on the ground and it's it needs lifting up and, and cleaning and, and then it'll produce more fruit. And um, uh, maybe uh, there's a, the branch coming off your branch, which is uh, not fruitful. So he needs to cut that off. He, he works in our lives so that we'll produce more fruit. And so he is the gardener, the vine dresser, and he prunes his people, us, with his word. Um, in verse 3, you are already clean through the word which I've spoken to you. In fact, the word prune that's used there um, doesn't just mean cut. The word actually can mean purge and to cleanse. That's why I talked about um, because apparently back then in the dusty streets of uh, or fields of Palestine, they would uh, have... Uh, some of the grapes on the vine would be in the dirt and they would have to lift them up and clean them. And uh, that was part of their role as a vine dresser. Whatever pruning means, we know what, that it means he does what he needs to in order that we may produce more fruit. And maybe you're going through a tough time and we all go through a tough time at the moment. It's not easy in many different areas. But God will use that to prune you to develop in you more fruit. That's his goal. 
His goal with you is not that you might sit pretty in a home and have everything you want and be able to go on holidays and all that. If you can do that, praise God, that's wonderful. But his goal is to produce fruit in you and in me. That's his whole mission with you. He's the vine. You're the branch. Producing fruit is what it's all about. Next, we see that producing fruit is not only gradual, but it's fruit that should be genuine. Fruit, in verse 16, it says that remains. God wants to produce in us fruit that remains, fruit that is genuine. Not like Judas, who had an outward appearance but bore no fruit, and he was cut off from the vine. Uh, in the kingdom of God, the, there um, are the, the ones in the kingdom of God are possessors, not professors. I don't mean a lecturer at a university. I'm talking about those who profess faith uh, outwardly, but they're not. As Jesus said elsewhere in Matthew, he says, no one, not everyone that calls me Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Just because you sing hymns on Sunday doesn't mean you're a genuine believer who is indwelt by the Spirit of God. The fruit of of the Spirit is evidence of the reality of your faith, that you are a follower, you are a disciple, you are indwelt by the Spirit of God. So he says in verse 8, that you may bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. There you are. You want to show that you're a disciple? Where's the fruit? So uh, this is a fruitful relationship. And next, it is a dependent relationship because Jesus goes on in verses 4 and 5 and says, Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Then he says, For apart from me, you can do nothing. Oh, wait a minute. Apart from me, you can do nothing? Yeah. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you want to live the righteous loving, patient, joyful life, you can't do it. Apart from me, Jesus said. That's why being abiding in the vine is vital in order to produce fruit. And if we are not producing fruit, it's because we're either not in Christ, we're not in the vine, or else we're we're taken up with other things and we're not really following him and obeying him and doing his will. A dependent relationship. No branch can bear fruit by itself, Jesus said. Without me, you can do nothing. Oh, let's remember that as we face this week, as we try to love those who are not very lovely, that we find hard to love as we forgive those who hurt us. An agricultural college in the United States um, did an experiment with a pumpkin. And they put this pumpkin in a frame and they let it grow. And as it grew, the frame was, a, uh, was able to, to measure the amount of pressure that was pushed on the frame uh, by the growth of this uh, pumpkin. And it got up to 2,000 pounds pressure 
2,000 pounds, a pumpkin growing bigger and pushing against the measurement uh, apparatus. You know what? They cut the, the lead to the pumpkin with a knife or scissors or something and immediately the pressure stopped. Immediately there was no more pressure because the pumpkin, the fruit, required connection with the vine in order to have the power to grow. But not only is it um, the dynamic discipleship, uh, our relationship with Christ, it also affects our relationship with each other. So Jesus goes on to say, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Now, that's a little different from abide in me. And it adds the component of love and commandments. Our relationship with Christ, by the way, as we saw it in the first eight verses, is now patterned on Jesus and his relationship with his father. So Jesus refers a number of times to his father and his relationship with his father in the second section. And he says similar things to what he's been saying about our relationship with him. So if he, we abide in him, just like he abides in his father's love. And so that's one of the examples of that. <clears throat> this relationship with each other then is first of all um, in the area of obedience, following the example of Jesus. Remain in my love as he remained, as Jesus himself said, he remained in his father's love. Jesus remains in his father's love by obedience. Now, He's equally God. He is eternally, never has he ever not been, nor will he ever not be God. Uh, but he is the son of God who chose to walk a life of obedience on earth to his father. And so his whole living was based on, on earth was based on obedience to his father. So he remained in happy fellowship with his father, if you like, while he obeyed his father on earth. So in verse 10, he says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, we had have two girls, and you know that the younger one has recently passed, and... Um, but, you know, I was just thinking back to when we were growing up and the kids were growing up in the family and so on. And um, as a parent, as a father, I would set boundaries. So would Marg and say, you know, don't do that and don't do that and this is what you should do here and so on, as every parent does or should do. There were times when our daughters didn't do what we told them to do. Or did what we told them not to do. We all know about that. Kids are kids. I didn't stop loving our kids because they disobeyed me. But the relationship with our kids was affected by the disobedience. 
I couldn't express my full love to them in, in, in a way because they had broken the commandment, if you like. They'd failed to do what their parents, mum and dad, had said to do or not to do. But when they did live in conformity to our will, they abode in our love, as it were. That, that, they, they lived in that happy relationship with their parents, with us. We didn't stop loving them, but they experienced the relationship of that love, the fellowship of that love in the family. And so it is with God. It's exactly the same. That's what he's talking about here. Abide in my love. I love you. I love you, God says. There's no boundary to my love to you, for you. But if you decide to walk contrary to my will, you're not abiding in that love. You're not experiencing the, 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 the reality of that fellowship and that connection with the living God. So we do not earn God's love, but we enjoy the relationship of his love, or we should do. So Jude 21 says, keep yourselves in God's love. It's saying the same thing. Keep yourselves in God's love. And we say that to you this morning and to me. Keep yourselves in God's love this week, this afternoon. Remain in me and remain in my words. So then we go on to the next, and it's his love is to be expressed or displayed in verses 12 to 15. Uh, displayed in the sense that love one another as I have loved you, as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than a man lay down his life for his friends. So it's a love that's sacrificial. It's a love that greater love has no one than this. Tell me. If you, if you know someone who loves you, think of someone who really loves you. If they're willing to die to save your life, that, they couldn't do anything more than that. That's the absolute final evidence of genuine love, being willing, willing to give up your life so that somebody else might live. And of course, Jesus did that. But he's calling us to follow that, that you're to, for your brothers and sisters in Christ in this church, you're to lay down your life for them. Well, oh, but wait a minute. What about the discontent ones and the whiners? What about the gossips, the immature ones, you know, those who are wayward, the disobedient, the immature, the critical? Oh, I, I don't know about loving them like that, laying down my life for them. The lazy don't do anything around the place. That's a love that's sacrificial. Greater love has no one than this than a man or person lay down their life for their friends. And you are my friends, he says. So it's also a love that honors the other. So you are my friends. He honors us by calling us friends, even though we are servants. We are to obey, but the kind of obedience is not like that of a slave. I don't call you slaves or servants anymore. Because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. You're, you're just, if you're a slave, you just do what you're told because 
that's your position and that's his position, you just have to do it. He says, I'm not treating you like that. I'm treating you like a friend. I'm revealing to you. I'm making known to you so you understand the significance of my commands and you're my friends and I love you. Now, enjoy that friendship and live that way. And finally, his joy is to be experienced in our relationship with one another and with the Lord. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. His delight was to do the Father's will. And he says, when you delight to do my will, you will experience that joy, that elation, not happiness. That's been, happiness depends on happenings. If things happen good, then you're happy. And if they don't, you're not happy. But joy is something that is there no matter what the circumstances are. That joy is the elation of the, the spirit, the inner uh, joy of the Lord, which is our strength, as the Bible says. And lastly, in our relationship of being a, a dynamic disciple with the Lord Jesus, not only in our relationship with the Lord, not only in relationship with one another, but also in relationship with the world out there, the world uh, which we see in the next few verses. You are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. He's saying, now, if you're my disciples, I've taken you out of the world in the sense that you're still in the world, but you're now connected to me. You're following me as distinct from following the course of the world and the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, as Ephesians says. So he says, in our relationship with the world, first of all, we are aliens we are aliens in a world that's opposed to Christ. The world in the New Testament, especially in John's Gospel, uh, it has a couple of meanings. It can mean God so loved the world, which is everybody. But the specific world as contrasted to God's people and God's way is, is uh, if you like, humanity opposed to God. That's the best way to try and describe it. The world is humanity opposed to God. The world system since Adam has been hostile to God. The values of the world, the pleasures of the world, the thinking of the world, the beliefs of the world, the wisdom and the desires of the world, all of those things are alien to God and his ways, his truth. Because they're under the dominion or the rule of Satan, Jesus said called Satan the prince of this world. In 1 John 5, John writes, we know that the world is under the control of the evil one. So if we live in a world that is in the control of the evil one, but we're following Jesus, there's going to be a problem. That's why Jesus said, if anyone will come after me, you've got to deny yourself. Take up your cross. That represents, the cross represents rejection. And follow me. In the university, 
in the workplace, among your friends, in your neighborhood. We are aliens in a world opposed to Christ, yet Christ came to redeem that very world. And we're, uh, we'll see that we're also to be agents. But first of all, aliens, because we refuse to conform. As it says here, Jesus said, if you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. If you conform to the world's way, you won't have a problem at university. You won't have a problem in your workplace. You'll just be like anyone else in the world. But you won't be a follower of Jesus. Whoa, it's not easy, is it? To remain in his love means to follow him in a world that is opposed to Christ. Some try to live in both. It doesn't work. You actually lose out on both sides. You lose the respect of both too. Alexander the Great, the great um, conqueror back in the uh, pre-Christ period, uh, he, his army was uh, there advancing on Persia, and, uh, but it didn't look good. It looked like they were going to get defeated. And um, so Alexander realized the reason was because they had conquered other places and all the army had taken plunder and, and taken... Um, all this stuff that they had gained from when they had um, sacked other cities and taken countries and so on in their rapid uh, conquering of the whole world of the day. They were weighed down with this plunder and so they were losing their effectiveness. So he called them all to bring it out to a central area and they all brought out their plunder and... Uh, he made a big fire and he burnt the lot. I don't know what happened to the gold, but anyway, for, the, for all the other stuff that burns, it was all burnt there in the big bonfire. And the historian writes that uh, it's as if wings were given them, they walked lightly again and they won the victory in Persia. And we need to do the same. There's nothing wrong with having a decent car and a decent house and a, a nice garden and a, a holiday in Jamaica or wherever. I don't know why I chose Jamaica, but anyway, it's, it's wonderful to do that. But they're not to weigh you down. They're on the fringe. The reality is I'm a follower of Jesus. And seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and what? All these things will be yours as well. God won't sort of, uh, oh, he doesn't say to you, oh, you're going to follow me? Praise the Lord. I mean, well, yeah, wonderful. What, what I'll get you to do is go and sit by yourself in that room and, um, and never do anything um, special or fun or, uh, you know, expensive. He's not like that. He's saying, follow me. You'll have the joy of the Lord and seek me first and everything else will be yours as well. I'll look after you so you can look after others. Tell the rich not to be, what is it in 1 Timothy? But to be generous. If God enables you to be rich, well, then the reason is so that you can be generous and help others. Anyway, um, so we refuse to conform and because we represent Christ. And so he says, 
If they persecuted me, uh, they will also persecute you. They will treat you this way because of my name. As he says in Matthew, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all things of evil against you, all kinds of evil against you because of me. Acts 5.41, the apostles rejoiced that they were counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Because they followed Jesus, they suffered disgrace. Because they followed Jesus, they were persecuted. Because many in the world today follow Christ, they are persecuted. We live in a land where that doesn't happen outwardly significantly, but it certainly happens in our relationships. And finally, we are agents to a world opposed to Christ. Not only are we aliens in that world, but we're now agents to that world. So he says in verse 16, I, you have not chosen me, but I've chosen you and appointed you to go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. If the disciples had failed to obey Jesus and the call to go out and be witnesses for him, the death of Christ on the cross would have been totally in vain. You wouldn't have heard about it. Nobody would have. They were the ones to take the message out, and they did. And it cost them. All but John were, were martyred. Remember in Acts 5, verse 19, we read, But during the night an angel of the Lord appeared and opened the doors of the jail and brought them out and said, and this, this is to um, Peter and John, wasn't it? Anyway, who were in the prison. And they, they, were, um, they were being persecuted because they had preached the gospel. And the angel said to them, All right, I'm setting you free. So you go and find your house and hide somewhere. No. He said, I'm setting you free. Go and stand in the temple and speak the, to the people all the words of this life. Go and do it again. Oh, I know you were thrown in prison. They were going to kill you. But hey, I've set you free to go and do it again. Oh. Spirit-directed witness in verses, the last two verses of the chapter. But when the helper, the paraclete, the, the Spirit of God comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me and you will bear witness. The Spirit of God will bear witness, but you will also bear witness. We're to be filled with the Spirit. The only way for courage to speak out to our friends and neighbours and others that we come across and share the gospel is to be filled with the Spirit, to be filled with the courage and the uh, empowerment of the Spirit of God in order to do that. And he calls us to be his witnesses. He inspires. He guides. Pray about it. Lord, give me an opportunity this week to share the gospel with somebody and mean it and pray it and see what God does. He guides. He prompts you. 
Sometimes he's prompted me not to open my mouth. It's not the right time. He overrules. He, he works his plan and he uses us when we're available to him. Are you? Some years ago in Texas, 265 children were tragically killed and died in a, a fire in a school. The school was rebuilt and they installed the most expensive, the latest sprinkler system. Five years later, after the school got back together and it was all go with this beautiful new facility and these new sprinklers, five years later, two new classrooms were added. And when they'd finished building the building and they were going to set up the, the sprinkler system in those two two classrooms as well, they found that the sprinkler system, the most expensive and the most, the latest one that was installed was not connected to the water. <laughs> For five years it had been there, but it had never really done it, been, well, it didn't need to fortunately do its job, but it wouldn't have been able to. We are connected to the Lord. Are we truly connected? We're a branch in the vine. Are we abiding in the vine and drawing our sustenance? Or is there blockage? Let's pray. Oh, God and Father, may we not just take these words and think, yeah, yeah, yeah. May it be real for us. Lord, that we will step out into this week with a real determination by your grace, by your spirit to abide in you, to maintain that fellowship of obedience and walking with you through each day, through this week. May we know that in our own experience as we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen.